following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. And this morning we're going to kick off a um, sermon series. We're going to look at the compassion of Christ. Are you a compassionate person? That's the question that we're going to be looking at today. What do you see? What do you see when you go out to the store? What do you see when you turn on the news? Are you a person that stays isolated and you really don't want to see anything? (laughs) But if you want to be like Jesus, how you look upon people and what you see when you look upon another person and your level of compassion says a lot about who you are in your relationship with the Lord, and how much closer you are to becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that scripture passage that I, I used just a moment ago uh, during the announcements from Lamentations, it, it talked about the Lord's compassions. It talked about the Lord's mercies and how they're new every day. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew language, the word that is used for mercy is the same word that is used for compassion. They are interchangeable. And in the New Testament that we'll be looking at today in the Greek language, it's got a much, much deeper meaning. The words are still interchangeable, but the Greek means that you are moved, something on the inside of you is moved to do something about what you are feeling. So if you are a compassionate person like the Lord Jesus Christ was, The things that you see, they go from your head to your heart and then to your hands. If you are moved with compassion, it should make you move into action to do something about what you have felt. And so over the next couple of months, we're going to look at the compassion of Christ. What moved him to do the things that he did? We're going to be looking specifically at the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of those today that we'll look at is the feeding of the 5,000. It says that when Jesus lifted his eyes and looked upon the crowd as they were coming to him, he was moved with compassion. And so everything that Jesus did, when he touched the leper and healed him, when he healed the eyes of the blind man, when he healed the lame, it was all because he was moved with compassion to a different level than anyone else around him. And now as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, As his disciples, as we are becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, compassion should be a part of our life. So that's the question I want to ask you this morning. What do you see when you look upon another person who may be less fortunate than you? When you look at another person of another race or ethnicity, maybe another income level, maybe they live in a different neighborhood, are you moved to compassion when you see that person sitting on the side of the street? homeless, hungry, who doesn't have anything, does it cause something inside of you? Does it stir something inside of you to say, I need to do something to help that person? And that's how I want us to grow over the next couple of months. So as always, let's open our Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 6. As we stand to read God's Word, we're going to read verses 30 through 37. We're going to look at this miracle. I was hoping to do the whole thing in one Sunday. There was just too much to unpack to do it all in one Sunday. 
to get the maximum effect out of it. So I think to accurately teach this, I'm going to break it down into two Sundays. And everybody said amen. amen. <laughs> we will, I'm going to try not to go into overtime today, but we're going to cover a little bit. We're going to cover one portion of it this week. And we'll look at the remainder of it last week. Because I think the remainder that we look at next week goes back and looks at a lot of what we studied during our sermon series on spiritual gifts and helps us to apply that better as well. So beginning in verse 30, this is what Mark writes. And remember, Mark is the writer of action. Everything that he writes, he brings out the action and the event. So that's what we see happening in this event as well. He says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But when the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities, they arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So you see a separation there between Jesus and his disciples in their compassion level. Jesus had compassion upon them because he saw a spiritual hunger. Now the physical hunger is set in, and the disciples said, Look, just, just send them away and let them take care of themselves. But Jesus had a different answer for that. But he said, uh, but he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. Let's stop right there. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for times, Lord God, when you allow us to rest. But there are also times, Lord God, when you lead us into a test. And so, Lord God, we're either resting or we're testing. There's something always going on in our lives, as we'll see in this passage. And I just pray that you'll open our eyes and open our hearts and help us to respond as believers to each and every situation that we find ourselves in with the same level of compassion that you would. I thank you for this day, Lord God. I thank you already for the celebration that we've had in worship. I thank you for the celebration that we've had in the ordinance of baptism and Aiden and his commitment to follow you. And Lord, if there's anyone else here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, or if there's anyone else here, Lord God, that struggles with mercy and compassion, that what they hear this morning would change their lives, change their walk with you, and help them to draw closer to you and become more like Christ. And we just ask it all in Jesus' most precious and holy name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So the first thing that I want us to see in this passage happens in verses 30 and 32. Number one, that the Lord always prepares us for the task ahead. And so if you go back in this chapter to verses 7 and 12, you'll see what happened. The disciples were sent out intentionally by Jesus to do ministry. They had spent a full day the day before. They were preaching. They were teaching. 
They were casting out demons. And Jesus was using this as a training time. And so here's what God does. He will prepare you for the task ahead. He will always equip you with the spiritual gifts that you need. He will teach you the lessons that you need to learn along the way to better prepare you for the events that he's going to have you involved in. So Jesus knew what was coming the next day, but Jesus also knew that from a days of ministry that the disciples were tired, they needed to recharge their batteries, they needed to draw aside and rest, and to prepare themselves physically for another day that was going to be draining on a spiritual level and a physical level. Is there anyone here today that can testify to the effectiveness of a well-timed, well-needed nap? I figured I'd get all kind of, if you're not going to say amen to anything else, you got to say amen to that. <laughs> there comes a time when our body just says, you know what, time out. Shut it down for just a minute. Uh, you, you've had a busy day. You know it's going to be a busy week. And that's why God gave us the seventh day Sabbath. That's why the Sabbath was created. He said the man was not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the man. He says you've got to take an intentional time frequently to rest yourself, to prepare yourself. How many of you know that if you've had a bad night, you've tossed and turned, you haven't slept well, you're going to get up the next morning, you're not going to be in a good mood, are you? You're going to get up and you say, you know what, I don't want to do peopling today. <laughs> I don't want to be around anybody. Because I'm just not going to respond the way that I need to. And Jesus knew that about his disciples as well. He said, you're drained physically. You're drained emotionally. You're excited. And if I don't shut you down and tell you to take the rest, you're going to keep on going until you drop of exhaustion. He says, we've got a busy day coming up. We've got a full day coming up. I want you to draw aside for just a moment. Catch your breath. Think about what has happened and prepare yourself for the next day. But there's a big, big difference between being restful and being slothful. God wants us to be his hands and feet, but he wants us to do it effectively. And for our compassion level, hey, look, Jesus took naps. <laughs> if you'll remember during the time of storm, what was he doing? He was asleep in the stern of the boat. He wasn't worried about the storm. He said, I got to power up. I got to recharge. And there were times that he spent alone with the Father to get away from the crowd. said, I've got to re-energize myself spiritually as well. Your body needs time to recuperate. And if you don't take the time for it, then God will make the time for it in some other way. Sometimes those ways aren't quite as pleasant as they should be. The next thing we see happening is that the multitudes pick up on what's going on and they run to where Jesus is and his disciples are going to be. So he tells them, come aside by yourselves to this deserted place. Let's disconnect from everything. Let's get some rest. They tried to get away, but the crowds eventually caught up with them. And now what Jesus was preparing his disciples for comes to pass. A bunch of them too. It's not just a few. Mark records here, all of the Gospels record in this one miracle that there were 5,000 men 
on top of the women and the children that were with them. So we're looking anywhere from 8,000 to 10,000 people roughly. And so this whole multitude is coming to him. They want to take part of what Jesus is doing. And so here's how Jesus responds to it. So if you were to be there out in the middle of nowhere, you just came back from a cruise, you're all rested, and this big group of people comes rushing towards you, and every one of them wants something, what is your response going to be? Because your initial response really reveals your compassion level on the crowd. If you were to go to Walmart and you come be bopping along with your grocery shop, uh, car, you've got something that everybody wants and everybody at Walmart comes to you at once, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? If you open up this church, you say, we've got some free items that we want to give away. Half of Morgan City starts showing up that you've never seen before. What is your response going to be? Or better yet, if one person comes knocking at your door, hey, I'm broke. I got nowhere to stay tonight. I got no food in my belly. I got no shoes on my feet. I'm hurting right now. You were totally unexpecting that. What's your response going to be? So here's Jesus. They're, they're just getting by day by day by day, and that's how he's teaching his disciples to operate. He's teaching them to rely upon God. And then all of a sudden, this group of people comes out larger than they've never seen before. What does Jesus respond? How does he respond? What does he look at? So here's the thing that I want you to see in these next few verses, verses 33 through 34. How we view our community around us reveals our attitude. When you drive around Morgan City right now, no matter what neighborhood it's in, when you're out in public, when you're out at school, when you're at the job site, when you're at the supermarket, when you're at the hardware store, when you look around and you see individuals and you look them in the eye, what's your attitude towards that person? Man, they need to clean their life up. Why are they acting like that? What's their problem? Why they got a bad attitude? That says a lot about your attitude as well. So Jesus says that... Uh, when he came and saw a great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. Because here's how he viewed them. They viewed them like they were sheep not having a shepherd. I don't know how much you know about sheep, but sheep left them on. They don't know how to take care of themselves. That They can't trim their wool. They can't stay lean. They can't resist the bugs. When they go to find a place to eat, they'll stay there and eat until the grass is all the way down to the dirt before they decide that they'll move somewhere else. So when Jesus looked out upon this crowd of people, he was moved with compassion. Something inside of him stirred. The, the Greek language actually says something inside of your bowels or your intestines is stirred emotionally and spiritually. So through the eyes of Jesus, he saw them with compassion. He saw them as people who needed something spiritually first and then physically second. Because he doesn't start off feeding them bread. He doesn't, starting off, he doesn't start off seeking food or drink or water for them. What does he do? He starts teaching them. Hmm, 
Sheep without a shepherd, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to start, sit down and start teaching them because he knows that they have a deep spiritual need that only he can provide. Sheep without a shepherd. In the Old Testament, the usage of sheep without a shepherd meant that they needed someone to guide them. They needed someone to protect them. They needed a constant companion. They needed someone uh, to feed them, to help them to find the streams of cool water. Without a shepherd, the sheep would not last long on their own. They would be vulnerable to enemies. They would be prone to wandering. They wouldn't stay in the safety of the herd. They would be unable to find fresh green pastures. They would venture into dangerous areas. They would be unable to find their way back home. Probably the greatest Old Testament passage of the use of a shepherd and the sheep is the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That shows the compassion of the Lord. He wants to give us our heart's desires. He wants to fulfill those needs that nothing else can fulfill. And when Jesus looked upon that crowd, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. I wonder if this 23rd Psalm came to mind to the apostles when they considered that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. There's that rest that he made the disciples take at the beginning of this passage. He leads me beside the still waters. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, Jesus talked to the woman at the well about having that living water that satisfies a spiritual thirst like nothing else can. He restores my soul, and that's what Jesus was wanting to do by starting off teaching these people. He wanted to restore their souls because the religious leaders of Israel could not and would not do it like he could. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that's what God wants in our lives more than anything else. He wants us to be holy like he is holy. He wants us to live a life that is righteous and set apart from everything else. And in his Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's that protection and that direction that I was talking about. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy. Remember, mercy and compassion are interchangeable. The Lord's compassions fail not. They're new every day. All the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When Jesus looked upon that crowd, he was moved with compassion. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. So the shepherding that Mark is referring to here is not specifically the physical aspect. Jesus was more concerned here about their lack of adequate spiritual shepherding. And so if you want to look like Jesus, how you view people within your realm of influence has a lot to do with it. When you look at people, do you see them as a blessing or a burden? When you look at people, do you see them as an inconvenience 
or an opportunity? What do you see? When you look at people, do you think that they should be doing better for themselves or should you be helping them to do better? What do you see? Is there time in your schedule to minister to the needs of others? What Mark does not say, he doesn't say that Jesus looked at the crowd and said, well, you know what? We just don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. There's a lot of people. There's only 12 of us. How are we going to deal with 10,000 people? But that's not what Jesus said. He was moved with compassion because here's what he wanted to show. Here's what he wanted to demonstrate. He was modeling for us and for more specifically his 12 disciples that day. Here's how you should respond to people with a need. And when you look at people, here's what you should see. You should see them through the eyes of compassion and mercy. There are times when ministry is intentionally planned. There are certain events here that we do specifically to minister to the needs of our community. But there are also times when your opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus happens unexpectedly. Just like on this day. It didn't catch Jesus by surprise. He knew it was coming. But there are times in our lives when we just don't know when that opportunity is going to present itself. So the spiritual gift of mercy, do you have it? Are you working on it? Are you trying to be as compassionate as Jesus? You may already be there. Some people are a lot more sensitive to the needs than others. Men, we're a lot more stubborn and hard-headed than the women are. They seem to have that motherly love for everyone that comes along, but it just doesn't happen for everyone the same way. So there's an old story that goes around. Uh, There was a guy who was running through a train station uh, way back in the day when people used trains to commute with a lot. He was running behind on his schedule. He had his luggage in his briefcase. He was hurrying to catch his train. He knew what time it started. He knew he was running behind that was back in the days when the little shoeshine boys would be in places like that, in places of business, making a little money here and there. So this guy was running through the train station trying to catch his train, and he rounded the corner, and all of a sudden there was a shoeshine boy standing there. He ran into it, and that little boy's stuff went all over the place. I mean, he had his tools, his brushes, his little stand just laying everywhere, and he had a little tear in his eye because he didn't know what he was going to do. And so the man just kind of set his stuff to the side for a moment. And he started helping that little shoeshine boy pick up all of his belongings. He knew it was his fault. He knew he shouldn't have been in a hurry. But something inside of him was moved to help this little boy. And by the time they got everything back in his box and got his stand set up, the little boy looked at that man. He said, Mister, he said, Are you Jesus? The man said, No. He says, I'm sorry, son, I'm not Jesus. He said, I'm just a regular man. He said, I knew it was my fault. He said, mister, he said, you sure do look like Jesus. So when you respond to people, when you respond to a situation, your action and your reaction that is moved by compassion, when people see your response, do they look at you and they say, I see Jesus in that person? Can they tell by your natural reaction and your level of compassion That Jesus Christ lives inside of you. Is anybody getting anything out of this? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I needed it. 
There was a lot going on the day when I first started preparing this message, and I needed this. I don't know if you needed it or not. So not only does uh, God prepare us for the task ahead, uh, not only does our attitude, uh, is our attitude revealed when we look at our community, before the situation we get into, before the situation that the disciples present him with, before the problem that the disciples present to him, Jesus already had an answer for this situation. Now, this answer wasn't quite what they expected. This answer wasn't quite what they had hoped for. Sometimes God will tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. Sometimes your preacher will tell you exactly what you need to hear, not exactly what you want to hear. Sometimes your wife will tell you exactly what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. Sometimes your kids will tell you. (laughs) Most of the time, that's where the truth comes from because they got nothing to lose. Sometimes they'll tell you exactly what you need to hear and not necessarily what you want to hear. But when the disciples presented their response to this situation to Jesus, Jesus told them something that they probably did not want to hear. Here's what I want you to see in the next few verses. When the situation seems impossible... God already has the answer. Look, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what kind of week you've had. I don't know what kind of bills you got that are looming over your head. I don't know what kind of family issues or relation issues you got. God's already got an answer for it. It's right here in this book. And if you'll take the time to seek his will and seek his way, Pray about it. He's going to give you that answer that you're looking for to that situation you're in. When the situation seems impossible, God already has the answer. Beginning in verse 35, it says this, that when the day was now far spent, I think Jesus was intentionally going long in his sermon just to set up this specific situation. No, I'm not going to intentionally go along with my sermon to set up a situation for you. But I think to put them in this situation, Jesus intentionally told them to take a break, take a rest, let's get ready for the next day. And then when he started teaching, he said, I'm going to go all day with this. And I'm going to put the the disciples in a, a period of testing. I'm going to intentionally put them in a situation to test their faith and to see how ready they are. And sometimes that's what God will do in our lives. Have you ever heard anybody say that God won't put any more on me than I can handle? There's a Hebrew word for that, baloney. (laughs) Sometimes God will put more on you than you can handle to see where you're going to go for the solution. Anybody ever been in a situation like that? I know I have. I know there's been times when I, I, I want to do it myself. I want to accomplish it myself. Instead of going to God first and asking him what direction he wants me to go in, I'll do what I think is right for the situation. And it usually ends up wrong. But sometimes God will put you in a situation where he knows what the answer is. He knows the direction you need to go in. But he's putting you in a situation where he'll test you to see what your response is going to be. He went along with his sermon. The hour was already late. The disciples came to him. And he said, look, we're in a deserted place. We can't use our waiter app. We can't call Domino's for pizza. 
We, we can't get some catering service out here to feed these people. What, what are we going to do, Jesus? Send them away. I'll, you're teaching them. You're the one that kept them here so long. Send them away so that they may go to the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread where they have nothing to eat. What was Jesus' concept of the situation already? They're sheep without shepherd. They need somebody to lead them. They need somebody to provide for them. So this response that Jesus gives them, it, it kills me, boy. It just If you want to know what a stressful situation is like, have eight to 10,000 people looking at you. Their bellies are growling. There's nothing for them to eat. And Jesus says to them, hey, you give them something to eat. You, you going to be stressed out? <laughs> I know I would. Miss Kathy, if we have 8,000 people show up here a little bit, we ain't got nothing ready to go. You going to be stressed out? <laughs> I've seen us feed a lot of people. I've seen us feed some pretty big crowds, and we always do an excellent job of it. But if somebody drops a bomb on us and drops a group of people off here that we're not prepared for, the stress level is going to go out the roof. So put yourself in the disciples' shoes right now. You didn't bring a lunch. You didn't bring anything to eat. You're not prepared to feed eight to 10,000 people. You go to Jesus and say, Lord, Hey, send them away. Look, here's the answer. Here's the solution. We want you to send them away so they can get it for themselves. And Jesus says, you do it. You give them something to eat. But Jesus already had the answer. And he said this to test the disciples. So let me ask you this question. Do you think that any of this took Jesus by surprise? Absolutely not. I believe that he almost purposefully taught all day just for this situation to unfold. And it would provide an opportunity like this for Jesus to show his disciples, if you'll trust in me, if you'll be my hands and feet, we'll work together and we'll go to a solution. We'll find a solution and everything's going to be all right. Here's another question. Do you really believe that God is big enough to handle your current situation? Let's see a raise of hands. Do you really think that God is big enough to handle your current situation? Amen. And why are you so worried about it? <laughs> Are you stressed out over that situation? If you really think that God is big enough to handle the situation you're in, then you shouldn't be stressed about it. He makes me to lie down in those green pastures. He says, look, I'm your shepherd. I've got everything you want. I've got everything you need. And if you're trusted in me, you're going to lie down in that green pasture and you're going to wait till I say it's time to go. But Jesus amped up their stress level here by pointing the finger back at them. He says, you give them something to eat. And we'll look at the rest of that miracle next week. Of course, he, he used them to be his hands and feet. Uh, they took what was provided and what was there on that day. He blessed it. He broke the bread. He fed the multitude. And everybody went away satisfied. And they had leftovers. So that situation that you're in, it, it may seem like a mountain right now. But to God, it's only a molehill. 
That financial situation, that budget situation that you're facing, it's nothing for God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's already got the answer. He's already got the solution. But he's waiting for you to come to him and say, Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because I can't do it on my own. I'm trusting in you with all my heart. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller was an English evangelist, but he also ran a children's orphanage that had hundreds of children in it. This was back during the 1800s. Uh, the name of the, the orphanage where he was at was the Ashley Down Orphanage in England, uh, Bristol, England. And so there was one morning when he got up, there was 300 kids in the orphanage at the time. And the house mothers began getting the children ready for their day of school. And they were getting ready to send them out to the door. They came to Mr. Mueller and they said, George, we don't have anything to feed the children this morning. What do you want us to do? And here was George Mueller's response. He said, have them all sit down at the dining table and wait. And so George Mueller went to the side and began to pray. He said, God, we've got a need. We don't have the food in the pantry. We don't know where it's going to come from, but I've got 300 hungry children. And it wasn't too long there was a knock at the door. Mueller went to the door and he opened the door up and there stood the baker from just a few blocks down the street. And he stood there with just a basket full of bread. He said, Mr. Mueller, he said, I don't know what happened. He said, last night the Lord woke me up during the middle of the night. He said, you were going to be needing this bread for today. He said, can you use all of this bread? Mueller just smiled. He said, absolutely. He said, I've got children that are in there waiting to eat right now. He said, thank you so much for your obedience to the Lord. Thank you so much for your provision. So they brought the bread inside and began preparing it and serving it to the children. There was another knock at the door, at the door just a few moments later. Mueller opened the door again, and there stood the local milkman. His cart had broken down right outside the doors of the orphanage. He said, Mr. Mueller, he said, I, I can't make my deliveries this morning. My cart's broken down. He said, by the time... I get my cart repaired and make my deliveries. This milk is going to be spoiled. Do you have something that you could use some extra milk for? He said, absolutely. He delivered 10 large jugs of milk for the children. It was just enough for them to have their milk and their bread for breakfast before going to school. That's not the only story from George Mueller's life. I, I, I challenge you to research his life and his ministry he was a great man of faith. He was a great man of prayer. He ran that orphanage for many, many years. And there were many more answered prayers just like that one. Before that morning, before any of them got up in that orphanage, God already had an answer for that situation that they were going to be in. And so the situation that the disciples are in right now, Jesus already knew how this event was going to unfold. He already had an answer for the situation and he already had the provisions in place to feed that multitude of people on that day. But he was testing his disciples. He was testing their compassion level. And he was testing their level of obedience and trust in him as their provider. And so what you're going through today may be a test from the Lord. 
There may be a, specific, a very, very specific need that you shared with no one. Have you shared it with the Lord? Better yet, there may be someone that you encounter later on today or later on in the week this week that has a specific need that only you can meet. And when you look at that person, what are you going to see? When you go to the grocery store and that person in line with you, they're, they're paying with food stamps. I know the situation of all that. I know that some people take advantage of that situation. They take advantage of that program. That's none of my business. But when you see a single mom that's struggling, when you see that person that you know just is they're just not capable of making ends meet, are you going to be Jesus to that person? When you are moved with compassion and you respond to their situation, are they going to look at you and they're going to say, are you Jesus? What do you see in a situation like that? Are you stirred with compassion? Does what you see impact your mind and the way, your way of thinking? Does it stir something inside of your heart that makes your hands and your feet become the hands and feet of Jesus? Because Jesus was moved with compassion when he came to this earth. That was the whole purpose of God becoming flesh and blood. God incarnate coming to this earth. They had read about his compassion, his mercy for thousands of years, but they had never experienced it personally. And on the day that Jesus was born, his name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God's mercies and his compassions became a living, breathing human being. And over the course of the next couple of months, we're going to look at his compassion and how he was moved to touch, to heal, to teach, and to provide for people. But ultimately, his compassion and his mercy were demonstrated on that cross right there because he saw us as sheep without a shepherd. And he tells the story, he tells the parable of the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of them went astray. He left the 99 and he went after that one because he was compassionate about where that sheep was. Let me ask you today, are you that one lost sheep right now? Have you strayed away from the rest of the flock? Have you gotten away from the shepherd or maybe you've never become a part of the flock? Maybe you're not a part of God's family right now. Maybe you don't have a church home. Maybe you don't have a small group or a Sunday school class that you belong to. I, I beg you, I urge you today, get connected. If you're that lost sheep that's wandering about, Jesus looks at you as a sheep without a shepherd. And he's willing to do whatever it takes. He, he died on the cross for you to stay connected with God's family and to be a part of God's family. And your sin is what separates you from the God that loves you. God doesn't hate you. God loves you. God so loved the world, there's his compassion and his mercy again, that he gave his one and only son. And whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life.
God, God knows what lies ahead in your life. He's preparing you for what lies ahead in your life. He also knows your attitude right now. But he also has the answer for your problem. If you die today, where would you spend eternity? If you were to stand before God right now and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your response be to him? He knows what the answer is. More than likely, you know the answer as well. And any time I present that question to someone, I take them to 1 John chapter 5. There's no middle ground. God says, he who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you that believe upon the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have everlasting life and that you may believe upon the name of the Son of God. Jesus is his name. He died on the cross for you. He shed his blood for you. And he said, whosoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As Christians begin to pray, they're, they're praying for you. We've been praying for you. We didn't know if you were going to be here today or not. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here. But just know that we prayed for you in advance. Right now we're praying for empty pews for people who are not here, for people that should be here. But most importantly, this invitation is for you if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Make that decision today. I can't make it for you. No one else can make it for you. It all boils down to, has there been a time and place in my life when I've trusted in Jesus Christ with my salvation? Have I stepped out and have I called upon his name and asked him to save me? And have I committed my life to being a follower of his? I hope and pray that if you need to make that decision, you'll make that today. There's no reason to put it off. We, we, we interview all of our services. Right now the cameras are off. This is a very private and intimate moment that nobody else is going to see. We're not here to make a spectacle of you and your decision. We just want you to walk out of these doors today with the assurance of knowing that heaven is your home. And it all starts with a simple prayer. You say, God, I know I've sinned. I know my life is not where it needs to be. And I want to change that, Lord God. I repent of my sins. I want you as my Lord and my Savior. And today I commit my life to following you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my mind. And I just ask you to come in my life and save me, and he will. So in just a moment, as this music begins, as our hymn of invitation begins, I ask you, don't put it off any longer. If there's any kind of decision that you need to make, a salvation decision, a church membership decision, a baptism decision, maybe you were saved many years ago and you never followed up in baptism. We'd love to help you make that first step of obedience. But today, if you're not a person of compassion, if, God, if you're wanting God to change your heart and helping you to become compassionate like him, these altars will be open for you as well. Heavenly Father, we commit this time of invitation to you. 
I don't know what decisions need to be made, Lord God. I don't know uh, what kind of an impact that this sermon has had on anyone here, Lord God. I know it's impacting my heart and my life. But I pray, Lord God, that you'll help us to view others with eyes of compassion. Lord, what, what do we see when we look at the crowds? What do we see when we look across the sanctuary at another church member? What do we see when we look across the classroom at another student? What do we see when we look across the workplace and see our coworkers? I, I pray that we'll be seeing people through the eyes of Jesus. And that we'll be stirred with compassion to a level that creates a reaction. Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord God, that's struggling with a salvation decision, I pray that they would just turn loose and submit their lives to you and call upon you as their Lord and Savior. We just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.